Good morning, saints at FCF. We're in chapter 3 of Ephesians, verses 1 through 13. Charles Haddon Spurgeon made this comment. Every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. Wow. You either try to spread abroad the kingdom of Christ or else you do not love him at all. It cannot be that there is a high appreciation of Jesus and a totally silent tongue about him. As we come to chapter 3, we see a man who is a missionary for Christ. And that is a wonderful thing, but we need to realize that we have all been commissioned to be missionaries for Christ. Missionary is not just a special status of people who go to a land not their own and share the gospel. The Bible says we are aliens and strangers in this world. We've been captured by Christ and his love, and we are to take this message to all people. Many commentators look at this passage and they see the first several words in chapter 3 which say, for this reason I, Paul, and we see the same thing again in verse 14, for this reason I bow my knees, and they believe that Paul got sidetracked on what he was going, he was actually going to pray And as he began to pray, he got sidetracked and he kind of went down this little path about the mystery of the gospel and how he was a minister for the gospel of Christ. And then he finally picks it back up in verse 14. I'm not sure that I um, completely hold to that view. Either way, we know this is inspired by God. And not that Paul wouldn't be guilty of rabbit trails. Anybody who can preach till 2 or 3 in the morning and have a man fall out of the window and, and die probably has a tendency to go on some rabbit trails. And being Paul myself, following in the namesake, hopefully we won't have too many unbiblical rabbit trails we go down today. In this passage, we're seeing the following. Paul explains how God appointed him to proclaim God's marvelous plan of uniting both Jews and Gentiles together in Christ. So we just came off of chapter 2 where we were told this incredible mystery that the Gentiles are part of the kingdom of God and they're being brought in and God's putting both the Gentiles and the Jews into one family. And it says in verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So God is in the process of building a holy temple. And I think Paul is saying here at the beginning of chapter 3, for this reason, because God is building a holy temple, he's putting the Jews and the Gentiles together, we are stones being put together in this temple 
And anyone knows who builds with stones, you have to cut stones and, if you want to use the word, sanctify stones to get them to fit together properly. So as we're being put into this temple, God is doing a work of grace in our life to make us fit into this temple. And Paul is saying that I have been called to help build this temple. May I suggest to you, we've all been called to build this temple. Paul's calling was to the Gentiles. We're going to look at six marks of a Christ-centered missionary today out of this passage, which is appropriate since we just talked, got through hearing from a missionary to South America today in First Light. But missionary is not something we look at and observe and go, wow, wasn't that great? It is that we are also missionaries. Notice in verse 1, Paul says this, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. Paul says that he's a prisoner for Christ. The first mark of a Christian Christ-centered missionary is that they follow the will of Christ. This is the mark. They see themselves as prisoners of Christ and are called to follow him. The term Paul uses for prisoner is literally in the Greek to be chained to a chariot. Now, we don't have chariots here. We don't think about what that means. But in Greece, and in that world, when you had an army go out to battle, and the army was victorious, the captain of the army would take the, the leaders, the captains of the enemy army, and he would chain them to his chariot. And he would send a runner back into the city, And the runner would come into the city and he would go door to door announcing that there has been a great victory by our army. And he threw incense and all kinds of things around to create the celebration. And everyone would pile out of their homes and they would go to the streets and they would line the city. And they would be looking in anticipation for the king to come. And in an hour or two, the king and his his army would come into the city. And the king would ride in first on his chariot and attached to his chariot, chained to his chariot, were these leaders of the opposing army that he brought in in victory to show the great victory that they had accomplished. Paul is saying this, I am Christ's prisoner. I have been overwhelmed And I have been conquered by him. And I am here to do whatever he wants. Paul tells us, obviously, in verse 13, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. What was Paul suffering for them? He was in prison. He had been in prison for five years. He had first been in prison in Caesarea. You remember the story. He went to Jerusalem to take aid to the Jewish church that was in desperate need. 
He went into the temple area with a Gentile, but he didn't take the Gentile into the inner courts. He kept the Gentile outside in the court of the Gentiles. We talked about last week how the Gentiles were outside. Remember, they were far away from God. And the way the temple was built, there was the inner court, there was the general court, there was the court of the women, and then there was out, all, outside all of that, the court of the Gentiles. And if you remember, when Paul got into the temple area, some Jews accused him of bringing a Gentile into the inner Jewish area of the court. And there was this huge ruckus that went on. They tried to kill Paul. The soldiers ran down into the temple area and got him and literally carried him out. And that led to him being put in prison. They took him to prison in Caesarea. Remember, they were going to try to kill him as he went from Jerusalem to Caesarea. And the Lord let one of his nephews overhear the plot. And they took the soldiers and took him to Caesarea. Then from Caesarea... He finally appealed to King Felix, and he went to Rome. So he's been in prison for five years. So he was not only a prisoner of Christ, because of what Christ had done in the gospel, he was also a real prisoner in the jail at Rome. Acts 9, 15 through 16. Paul understands who he belongs to. He's a bond slave. He's a prisoner of Christ. And he's a joyful prisoner of Christ. In Acts 9, 15 and 16 we read, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Remember, Paul was on the road to Damascus. He had a letter of authority to put all Christians in prison. And a bright light hit him, and the voice of Christ called out to him from heaven and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And his response was, Who are you, Lord? Remember, he was taken into the city, and Ananias came, Ananias came to him and caused him to open his eyes. But notice the charge that was given to him. He was chosen by God for a purpose, to carry the gospel to the Gentiles. Brothers and sisters, you and I were not just saved, forgiven of our sins, and to live our best life now. We were called for a purpose, to build the holy temple of God. In Acts 20, 24, we read, Paul says, I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Notice what he says. I do not count my life as of any value or precious to me. 
This is the mindset of a slave. This is the mindset of a prisoner. I am completely at the disposal of the king. It's not about me. It's about him. It's about his glory. And this we see throughout the pages of the New Testament is that Paul's life was not precious to him. I was reading this week in the Word, in Acts, where, remember, he went into one town. They stoned him. They drug him outside the, the, the town and thought he was dead. And he got up and went right back in to the town. That's not viewing your life as precious. You know, in our culture, what's valuable is security and safety and protection and low risk. That was not Paul's values. Paul's value was, I want to complete the mission he's called for me. That's what I want to do. I want to pursue this mission he's given me, and whatever I face, I will continue until I breathe my last. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 through 14. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul saw himself as the benefactor of God's grace. He was an unworthy servant of him. So we see first, the prisoner of the king. And I want you to see, secondly, he saw himself as a shepherd of the people. A missionary who's going to follow Christ needs to see themselves as a prisoner, and they need to see themselves as a shepherd. Look at verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. Why was he commissioned? Was it for his own glory and his own namesake? No, it was for the Gentiles. You, you Gentiles. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Notice verse 13. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you which is your glory. A shepherd, it's not about his life. It's about the sheep. Paul received this incredible commission for the glory of Christ, but for you, the Gentiles. Paul was gifted to serve the Gentiles. Notice in God's economy... Ministry always includes two things, serving and suffering. Serving and suffering. This is your ministry as well. As a missionary for Christ, 
Are you serving the church? Are you willing to suffer for the church? As the church is being built into this temple and dwelling place for God. Ministry is difficult. Pastoral ministry is difficult. There's a very high turnover rate of pastors in the ministry. I talk to students all the time at College Plus, and they tell me they're going into the ministry. And I say, that's wonderful. I'm a pastor as well. That's great. Do you have a backup plan? Do you have something else you can do if this doesn't work out? Because in the ministry, in the first five years, 80% leave the ministry who have been called to the ministry. And at the end, retirement of pastors who've actually made it through, the percentage is maybe 10%, maybe 5%. Pastoral ministry is difficult. As we, and we see that in Paul's life, don't we? Paul, everywhere he went, wasn't received with accolades and praise. There were people within every church he went to that were against him, that said he was a false apostle. He was constantly having to defend the ministry. If the church is God's plan, do we not think it will come without a cost? What soldier goes into battle thinking he may not get shot at? What police officer going in to serve does not think that he might be risking his life for what he is doing? As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, as fellow missionaries, ministry is risky. Paul is in prison as he writes this letter because of the risk of the gospel. When Paul trusted Christ, repented of his sins and put his faith in Christ, he became an enemy of a lot of people. Paul talks about all the reasons he suffered. And one of the things he says is, I have been attacked by my own fellow countrymen. They hate me. And we see all through the pages, we see the Judaizers in Galatians who were coming behind him saying, no, you must be a Jew first before you can be a Christian. We saw Jews in different towns who would rise up against Paul and incite people against him. For him to be a Christian means he was going to be persecuted. In America, we've lived in a bubble. A foundation of Judeo-Christian values for nearly 200 years. The bubble is losing air. Christians are being persecuted for their faith. High school football coaches are being fired because they pray at the football game with their team. People are being marginalized because they hold a faith in Jesus Christ. Being a missionary means we follow Christ and his will. Paul Paul is an example to us 
of how we are to live. Paul is just not a historical figure that helps us understand how the church grew. Does that make sense? The book of Acts isn't just how the early church took the gospel to the world. The book of Acts shows us how we can take the gospel to the world. Paul is an incredible example to us of being a missionary. So we notice that we're commissioned to be missionaries for the purpose of helping others come into his kingdom work. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 29. This is kind of a recap of what we've just read here. Colossians 1, 24 through 29. I want you to look at Paul's heart here. Now I rejoice in my sufferings. I'm sorry, did you just say I rejoice in my sufferings? For your sake and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Paul says, I'm willing to suffer for the church. The church is worth suffering for. Christ died for the church. Christ shed his blood for the church. The church is worth whatever I have to pay. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship which God had given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to the saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we Proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that so powerfully works within me. That's a capsule account of Paul's mission statement right there. That would be a great passage for us to memorize, 24 through 29. It covers everything. It covers the fact that Paul's going to suffer and is willing to suffer for the gospel. It covers the fact that he is going to proclaim the word of God fully and make people understand it completely. It shows that this mystery has been hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to us. And it shows the goal is what? The proclamation of Christ and presenting everyone complete. Making disciples and doing it in the power of, the, of God. A Christ-centered missionary number two understands the message of Christ. There are a lot of people who are zealous and they head off to be a missionary for Christ and they don't even understand the message of Christ. America is full of people who don't understand the gospel and who are, or have completely warped the gospel 
and then it gets exported around the world. One of the challenges in third world countries is the prosperity gospel, which is no gospel at all, which simply says, if you love God and follow Jesus, you're going to be rich beyond all imagination. Our missionaries who faithfully teach the word of God have to go into those places and correct that false teaching. To be a missionary, you've got to get the message of Christ right. Or you're not a faithful missionary. Paul had been given a stewardship. He tells us in verse 2, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. What is a steward? A person who's in charge of somebody else's kingdom, somebody else's estate. A steward is one who manages something that is not his own. He manages somebody else's household. He manages somebody else's business. Paul is saying this ministry to the Gentiles that God has appointed me to was not my idea. Do we have any, do we understand that? (laughs) This was not his idea. His plan was to eradicate Christians, and he was very passionate about that. It is not something that is for me. It is not something that came from my schooling with Gamaliel. It is something that God raised up. God, who is the great family steward, gave it to me. I'm the the one who now is assigned with this ministry. Paul understood that the mission he had was from God. Now, if you'll notice in this passage from 2 to 6, we're told that this was a mystery. This plan that God had was a mystery. It was hidden. When God hides something, you can't find it. When God chooses to hide things from the world, they can't find it. Jesus, as he walked around in his ministry, told parables. A lot of people go, oh, he told parables so everybody could understand it because it's so simple. No, what he said was, I told parables so people couldn't understand it. Because of their rejection of him as Messiah, he told parables where they could not understand the message do we realize what a privilege it is for God to reveal truth to us when you talk to an unbeliever and they are so closed to the truth and they don't understand it do you realize that God chose to reveal that to you He says here that this mystery of Christ, verse 5 in chapter 3, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The Old Testament, they had a revelation of God. But this revelation continues to progress. And we finally understand who the Messiah is. It's Jesus And we understand this mystery, the what? He's going to make the Gentiles and the Jews one family. Old Testament saints didn't understand that. They didn't grasp that. 
This mystery is something that is revealed to us. That you're here today as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ says that by the Spirit of God, he opened your eyes and showed you something that's been hidden for ages and generations. Do we take that for granted? We have this word in our home. We've been given the Spirit who leads us into what? All truth. You can have the word in your home. If you don't have the spirit, you're not going to get the truth out of here, are you? There's pagans who read this and cannot understand the truth of it. You have been given the spirit of God. You've been given the word of God. You have been made alive in Christ. And this revelation is really important because you need to understand two things for sure. One, you need to understand the gospel. The gospel that we, only by the grace of God, can be saved through Christ alone. Faith alone in Christ alone. And secondly, the revelation is that God's building this temple and putting Jews and Gentiles in it. From every people, tongue, tribe, and nation. And that is his redemption plan. Why do you need to know that? So that you can be involved in it. Why does he tell these people the plan? So that they can be involved in it. If you look at Ephesians, Ephesians 1 talks about what? The riches of Christ. Ephesians 2 talks about the reasons for their salvation. Chapter 3 talks about the, the revelation of this mystery. Why is this important? There's not many commands here, are there? He's just telling the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done. Guess what 4, 5, and 6 are? Marching orders. How to live. A lot of us want to just do something for Jesus. Well, we should. But verses chapters 1, 2, and 3 are the foundation for doing something. If you don't understand one, two, and three, whatever you do, four, five, and six is going to be a little skewed. You've got to have the foundation. Have you ever been in a new company? They're, they're telling you their mission statement. They're explaining what their goals are and what their values are in the company. And you're going, can you please get through with that so I can just be told what I'm supposed to do? Why is it important that you know the mission of a company? what the values of the company are, how the company was founded, how the company has been successful. It gives you an attitude and a framework to be able to carry out what you're supposed to be doing. So the revelation here of God's message is twofold, the gospel and God's redemptive plan. This revelation to Paul turned his world upside down. He went from being a hater of Christians to being the missionary to the Gentiles. Can you imagine Paul having a love for the Gentiles? Some, 
impossible apart from the grace of God. He loved these people. He loved these churches. He prayed for them. He had a shepherd's heart for them. Notice he tells us here, this was for the Gentiles. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers in the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. That's the mystery that God's building a temple from every people, tongue, tribe, and nation, including the Jews. And they have access by the same spirit to God the Father. This is what God is about in the world. This is why Jesus came. And this is why you're saved, so that you can enter into the mission that everybody else is entering into. You're not saved to be a couch potato. You're not saved just to sit in the pew and go, wow, that's another good message. Boy, Paul sure was a good missionary. Well, now it's time for me to live my life. No, you are a prisoner because of the grace of God. And you are to live your life as a missionary for him. Three, a Christ-centered missionary is overwhelmed by the grace of Christ. Verses 7 and 8. Verse 7. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. If you're a Christian missionary, if you're a Christ-centered missionary, you must first be overwhelmed by the grace of God. Notice here, Paul does not take credit for his salvation. He doesn't say, I came to Jesus. I saw the truth and I was enlightened by it. What does he say here? He says, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. It took God's resurrection power working in Paul to turn him from a God-hater to a God-lover. Knocked him off his horse, literally. Blinded him by the glory of Christ. And told him what he was going to do. In our world, we have this idea that I have a choice to make and I'm going to choose Jesus or not choose Jesus. That is true. Secondarily. Primarily, notice that Jesus didn't wait for Paul to choose him. Did you see that? He didn't wait till Paul chose him. He chose Paul, knocked him off his horse, and then Paul goes, I choose Jesus. That's what's happened to each one of us, brothers. 
Did we choose Jesus? We absolutely did. We absolutely chose Jesus after he chose us and knocked us off our horse. God's grace should humble us. Notice the humility of Paul here in this verse. To me, though I am the least of all the saints, Paul just wasn't playing his humble card. Paul truly believed he was the least. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. He was the least. He was a persecutor of the church. He sat by and held the garments as Stephen was stoned to death. He had killed people in the name of Judaism. He was humbled. 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10. He says it again. Verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 15. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle. Was that true? Absolutely true. He was not worthy to be called an apostle. Neither was Peter, neither was James, neither was John. None of them were worthy to be called apostles. Because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. God's grace didn't hit me and just fall off. It changed me. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. To be a Christ-centered missionary, you have to be overwhelmed by the grace of God. Because you have, to, you have to tell people what grace is. If you think you came to Jesus by your own intellect and your own wisdom and your own effort and you're maintaining your Christianity because you are doing all the right things, you are sending a false gospel to the world. Secondly, we need, to, need God's grace to empower us. We first have to be completely dependent upon it and humbled by it. And secondly, we must be empowered by it. Remember Acts 4, I think Christopher read that today. The church was persecuted. They went back home. They prayed. We talked about this last week. And the foundations of the place where they were praying was shaken. And they were all filled with the spirit and had great boldness to continue to what? Proclaim the gospel of Christ. They, when they were faced opposition, what was their response? Prayer. And strengthening for themselves and each other. That they would continue to be the missionaries they were supposed to be. We see it also again in Colossians 1 that we just read earlier. Notice what Paul says. For this I toil struggling with all his 
energy that he powerfully works within me. Christ-centered missionary has got to be overwhelmed by the grace of God, filled by the grace of God, and empowered by the grace of God. Notice what he says in Ephesians 2, 19 and 20. Actually, go to 1, 19 and 20. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places? Brothers and sisters, you and I need that power. Facing opposition, facing our own flesh, facing the world, facing the devil. We need this power from him, the power that raised Christ from the dead. We need that same resurrection power living and pouring through our lives to be who he wants us to be. Fourth, a Christ-centered missionary proclaims the incalculable riches of Christ. You go, well, what are those? Go back to chapter 1. Remember those in chapter 1? Redemption, calling, election, forgiveness, redemption, and much more. We are to proclaim Christ. That's what a Christian missionary does. We proclaim it to people who don't know who Christ is. We proclaim the gospel to them. Verses 8, B, and 9. And this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. We have the great privilege of proclaiming Christ to all people. It is a privilege. The one who died for us is an incredible privilege to proclaim Christ to a lost and dying world. And shedding light. This is what Paul's passion was. In Acts 13, remember, the Spirit set him and Silas apart. The people laid hands on them and sent them out into the Roman world to proclaim the excellencies of of Christ. We don't proclaim the excellencies of our church. We proclaim the excellencies of Jesus Christ. It's really important as a missionary that you understand the bigger picture of what God's trying to do. Building this temple. Proclaiming the gospel to all people. Perhaps you've heard the story of three men who were working on a stone pile at a construction site. A curious passerby was eager to discover what was going on. So he asked the first worker, what are you doing? Chiseling stone was the reply. Trying for a better answer, he asked the second worker, what are you doing? Earning a living. Another washout. He had one more hope. He asked the third worker, Sir, what are you doing? He dropped his sledgehammer, stood erect, and with a gleam in his eyes proclaimed, I am building a great cathedral. All three men were doing the same job. 
But only one of them saw how his role fit into a larger, more important vision. May I suggest to you that many of us are like the worker one and worker two. What are you doing? I'm reading my Bible. Well, what are you doing? Well, I'm going to church. What are you doing? Well, I'm trying to be a good Christian. What are you doing? I'm trying to protect my kids from the evil of the world. Well, what are you doing? Well, I'm giving some money in the plate this Sunday. Paul understood the big picture. For you and I to really be effective, we have to understand the big picture. I talk to students all the time about college. First thing we do at College Plus is we help students figure out the big picture. What do you want to do? What career field do you want to pursue? What degree do you want to pursue? Many of the students I I talk to are chiseling stone or they're trying to earn a living. They don't have a big picture. Surprise, surprise, they don't make much progress toward their degree. Because just taking another class isn't very exciting. Especially a class you don't understand, a class you don't like. What do we do? We help them see what they want to be doing after college. And once they see that picture, man, the energy toward moving there is incredible. How many of y'all have ever planned to go on vacation in your family? A lot of us do that. What happens in your family when you talk about it, talk about it, talk about it, talk about it, but you don't know where you're going? People get discouraged. People go, we're not going anywhere. They're just playing with us. What happens when we finally decide on a destination? All of a sudden, dad's online, booking reservations for the flights, getting hotels in place. The kids are going to shop for everything they need to go on the trip. Everybody's planning on what they're going to do each day on the trip. There's a lot of energy and power when you know where you're going. That's what Paul's trying to do here. He's trying to let us know what it's about. We're building a temple for God of people from every every tongue, tribe, and nation, including the Jews, into a worshiping community that will carry on throughout all the ages. Could there be a better project than that? There's some grand projects here on earth, aren't there? Building the Great Wall, building a huge tower, building a great business. But all those have kind of a shelf life, don't they? Within 20 or 30 years, you're kind of retired, you're kind of finished up. But God has given us as missionaries an enterprise to be a part of that's eternal. That's eternal. What you do in his kingdom is for eternity. So our mission is to follow him. Our mission is to get the message straight. And the message is that the gospel of Jesus saves us from our sins. And that God has a plan to redeem people from every 
nation, tongue, tribe, and people group. And that we are to proclaim the riches of Christ. Notice, fifth, a Christ-centered missionary has a high view of the church. We talked about this last week. There's a low view of the church in our culture. There's even a low view of the church among Christians. Where we can kind of take it or we can kind of leave it. Paul does not have that view. Verses 10 and 11. So that through the church... The manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. What? What is the purpose of the church? Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. We all know, if we've gone to Christian marriages, that the marriage is just not to a couple getting together and getting married. It paints a bigger picture, doesn't it? It paints a picture of Christ and the church. Notice that the church puts God's amazing grace and glory on display for the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Who are those rulers and authorities? The angelic hosts. They are watching what goes on down here. And they are amazed. The Bible says the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. The angelic host is not just the good angels, it's also what? the demons, the angels, Christ angels watch with amazement and awe and worship at God putting together the Jews and the Gentiles and making one body and bringing unity and bringing things to a close in history. The demons, they watch as well, knowing what? Judgment. Is coming. It brings God glory for the church to do what it's supposed to do. John Arstott says they watch fascinated as they see Gentiles and Jews being incorporated into the new society as equals. Kent Hughes. The inescapable conclusion is that the angels watch us because we are part of the mystery. We have a far bigger and more observant viewing audience than any of us realize. When I played basketball, I went to China. And we played three games against the Chinese there. One in Beijing, one in Shanghai, and I don't remember where the other game was at. And we had probably a coliseum of ten to 15,000 watching the game. After the game, I found out that we had 10 million people watching the game. I think I'd have been a little more nervous if I had known that. Brothers and sisters, just like in that situation where I thought I had this crowd watching, there was a lot larger viewing audience beyond. You and I, as we live as the church, and as we carry out what God has called us to do, there is a cloud of witnesses, saints who are watching us, and there are the angelic hosts, both demons 
and angelic angels who are watching in amazement as God's plan unfolds throughout the ages. We're all called to be missionaries. That's why Paul is profiled throughout the New Testament. You may not be a missionary in the sense that you leave this country and go to a foreign land and plant your life there. But you were saved to serve and to suffer as the church of Jesus Christ is being built. And it's really important for you that you understand the gospel and that you understand God's grand plan because that's what's going to give you the drive when you face the challenges that life presents. Our life and everything around us in the United States can really quickly bring our vision down to just chiseling stone and earning a living. But brothers and sisters, you and I have been called to a much greater calling than that. What is the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As we proclaim Christ and the gospel and make disciples, we are bringing that prayer to fruition. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Paul. We thank you for his example. Lord, we're grateful that he is a missionary among missionaries. And it's all because of the grace of God. Father, I pray that we would see ourselves from this day forward as missionaries for your namesake in different spheres among different people, but all for the purpose of proclaiming the excellencies of Christ to all people with the view of making disciples. Father, as we pray for each other every week, Lord, I pray you would help us to know the gospel better to understand your plan more to be shepherds among people proclaiming the gospel to them Lord help us to let our silent tongue loose Lord maybe we not be fake Christians may we live out the calling you've called us to by your power and by your grace, in Jesus' name, amen.